Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of the UK this time. I'm really excited about today's podcast because I read an article that I found absolutely fascinating. It revealed so many things that I had never heard before. I thought it was written from a really unique perspective, and I was able to reach out to the author and ask him to join us. His name is Dave Brennan. Dave, are you still there? I'm here. Hi. Good to be with you. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no, it's a privilege. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. You know, you wrote an article that is that the title of the one that I read anyway was called What is a Pagan Goddess Doing in a Place of Christian Worship? And it caught my attention right away. I read it. And there was so much that is in there that I thought I would love to share this with our Back to Jerusalem audience um, just because it it really did highlight a lot for me. And I'm assuming there's a lot of listeners that don't really know some of the things that uh, I, I think that you mentioned in your article. Uh, but before we jump in knee deep, would you just take a moment and share with our audience, you know, who you are and what your background is? Yeah, sure. Thank you. So um, I, I work in here in, in the UK with something called the Centre for Bioethical Reform, CBR. And you, you might have come across CBR in different nations. The, the first one is in the States. And then we've got a CBR here. We've got a CBR in, I think, Sweden, um, the Netherlands. They're, they're kind of cropping up all over the place. But we exist to challenge the way society is thinking about abortion. And we do that by placing a heavy emphasis on the, the visual evidence, the facts. We show pictures of life in the womb and all its majesty. Uh, we also show visually the reality of abortion, what the violence of abortion does to the unborn child. And, uh, and we question people's assumptions. We get them to think afresh. We do that in the streets, universities, schools, all sorts of different arenas. But where I'm focusing myself is I, I lead our breathos project. Now, breathos is the New Testament Greek word for baby, and it's used for babies in the womb and out of the womb, so unborn and newborn babies in the scriptures. And uh, the Breathos Project here in the UK is to help the church, really, to respond to abortion. We, we realize there's a real need for teaching on abortion in the church. And so we're starting kind of right at the beginning here in the UK, getting people to look at the unborn child biblically, scientifically, and, and see how we're called to respond. So that's that's the work I'm generally um, involved with here in the UK. I, I live on a boat in uh, Norfolk with my, my wife and two little girls. And uh, yeah, we're, we're so grateful to God. He's blessed us with these little ones. And we're just enjoying these early years of parenting and uh, doing what we can to just yeah, follow in the path that he's put before us. Okay, before we get started, did you say you live on a boat? Yes, yeah, I live on a, oh, that's a, a Dutch awesome. barge, yeah, on, on the Norfolk Broads, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, that sounds that sounds amazing. I mean, it, it, is that is that something that you have always wanted to do, or or did you find yourself well, homeless, or how did that happen? We, we we sort of stumbled. I mean, we sort of stumbled into. I mean, I, we 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 helped out with the church plant in a in London before we moved out here, and the church plant was near the River Thames, 
And so we were just looking for somewhere to live and we kind of stumbled across this boat and uh, we just felt, as we prayed about it, the Lord's blessing was on it. It was actually just an empty barge. So we had to kind of finish off the job, put a roof on it, put the, you know, put all the rooms inside. And so it was a bit of a project, which was fun. And then um, we were able to bring that same boat out here to Norfolk, where we live now. So, you know, it was a, it was a nice way to move house, you know, actually moving your house. Oh wow! Yeah, than, uh, that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, I live in. Uh, I currently live in in Hong Kong, and we we live right beside okay. a marina, and so we have so many friends that you know currently live on boats, and uh, I oh, envy nice. them. Yeah, nice. it's really really nice. So yeah, kudos oh, cool. to you guys. That's really amazing, and I love I love the the heart of your ministry as you just now explained it. I mean, uh, in China where where we've been living for more than 20 some odd years as you know there's a lot of times where abortion is enforced it's it's something that women are forced to go through and i can't Mm. tell you how many women want Mm. to keep the babies and and we have a lot of people Mm. within our church networks that have children that are simply not registered with the government because had the government known that they existed they would have Mm. been and we're not just talking about uh, abortion in some cases we're talking about straight infanticide after their birth and so it's it really is horrendous and so yeah god bless you in that ministry um Mm, thank you if if we could just go to something that you know that you had written at the end of last month i believe is when i saw it around Mm -hmm. the the end of october beginning of november time frame um you had written about the um kind of this uh narrative that is really bombarding every single news channel that we see at the moment about a climate Mm -hmm. emergency. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually a Swedish citizen. My family is Swedish, my wife, my children. And so, you know, we know the whole, um, uh, Greta argument, for instance, when it comes Mm -hmm. to the, the climate emergency, that this is something that, you know, the whole world needs to respond to before it's too late because we might end up in this massive disaster where everybody would die and it would just be uh, Mm -hmm. the most horrible thing. Um, I, of course, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm being a bit glib in my, in my explanation. But um, it was through that that I saw that you addressed this climate emergency narrative and Mm. how we're hearing about it in almost every category of our lives, you know, whether it's in the news or entertainment or the the people that we admire in sports or Hollywood. And, uh, And now you addressed a special place where we're also starting to see it is in the church. Could you expand on that a little bit about what we as Christians might be or or what you feel we are being exposed to even in the church. Yeah, sure. Thank you. So yeah, this this climate emergency narrative is something that, you know, it's not going away. This is this is just really getting going and we're gonna hear a lot more of it. And and that's why I felt this was actually something quite important for us to look at, to examine, to question and, and to respond to biblically because yeah, this is not just a flash in the pan. This is going to be with us for a long time. And and as with other narratives, um, uh, which I don't know if we'll go into today, but, you know, there, there are lots of uh, stories told um, across the world and perhaps especially in the Western world through the media, which have made their way into the church. Now, um, be that parts of the LGBT narrative or you know, whether the whole thing or just elements like to do with identity, what makes us who we are. Um, you know, ideas of how we're meant to respond to COVID-19. What we've seen again and again is worldly thinking being brought into the church. And the danger of this 
is what happens when it's brought in at the at the sort of the the threshold, as it were. When it's brought in, it's closed in biblical language, and this is where many of us get deceived because you can take a worldly thought and you can find a verse from scripture that kind of sounds similar, and then you can use that verse of scripture to promote that worldly thought, and that's what we're seeing again and again, and we're seeing it here with the climate so-called emergency, and so and so. Um, Many churches uh, here in the UK, and I know across the world, have, have embraced wholesale the climate emergency narrative and just slapped a few Bible verses on top. Some have been a bit more discerning and have taken bits of it and left out others. But I think almost all of us are being swept along to some degree um, by this climate emergency narrative, which is, which is false and is unbiblical. It's not, it's not innocuous. It's not kind of neutral but actually it, it, it proclaims things about the world and our relation to it that are simply false when put under the light of Scripture. And, and that's why I'm particularly troubled to see churches adopting it, even right up to the level of, you know, um, making it their main thing for the last few weeks and their main kind of point of, of communication interaction with the world. Uh, you have, you, you've written something, it, it, it sounds like you went even a step further and you you show a, a, a specific situation um, with your experience, and I'm just going to quote from your article. It says, "In the case of the Gaia exhibition, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Is that right, Gaia? That's right, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. So, in the case of the Gaia exhibition currently being hosted in Saint Peter Mancroft Church, what we are talking about is nothing short of pagan earth worship. Could you yep. expand on that a little bit?" Yeah, sure. So, so in our local town, um, we were actually doing some of our public education work on abortion just out on the streets of Norwich, as we as we do. Um, and uh, we we had set up um, one day actually outside this church, not not actually seeking to reach the people of that church. It's just a good location in town. It's facing the market. It's a, a lot of thoroughfare, and we were just on the pathway, kind of you know public right of way space there, close to that church, but facing away from it. We actually got moved away by. Um, the wardens of that church, it turns out there is technically their land for a few feet, like in front of their fence. And they moved us away, which is a whole other story. But as we were being moved away, we saw an advert for this Gaia exhibition, which was taking over the church for like a whole month. Now, I was already familiar with this Gaia exhibition because I, I recognized it as something that has been doing the rounds. It's been in various cathedrals across the, the nation um, and larger churches. And what it is, is it's a, it's a kind of sculpture of, of the earth. It's a globe um, kind of lit up and it hangs in the kind of space of a large, tall building. So a church is kind of architecturally speaking, a church is perfect for it. But I'd say ide ideologically speaking, it's totally inappropriate because it's deliberately named after a pagan goddess, Gaia. This is the kind of mother of all, the sort of the earth goddess, the, the, the goddess from whom we're all meant to have received life. And, and, and this sculpture, this art exhibition, was deliberately named after that. And not only that, but um, even within this church, in, in events kind of circling around Gaia and in some of the literature, the pagan goddess is referenced uncritically. So this is a, a, a real, this is one of the most um, out there examples of where the church, so-called, has been adopting not only a kind of uh, a secular worldly narrative, but even going beyond that to full-on pagan idolatry, to actually talking about the, the, the earth as this kind of goddess, someone who needs to be appeased, kept happy, 
sacrifices need to be made uh, for her and to her. And we are beginning to, I don't know if you've heard this, but we're getting to hear language to do with the climate emergency, which is positively religious. You know, certain nations are, are being told they need to make atonement for their sins over the decades of, of carbon emissions and so on. And, um, and so the language of atonement and sacrifice and, 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 and the sort of the, 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 the moralizing that's going on um, goes beyond just sort of secular humanism. This is, this is religious, it's pagan, and, uh, and, and it's being um, promoted uh, within, as I say, some churches here in the UK. Yeah, I I really I want to thank you for writing this article because even I feel like I'm somewhat informed when it comes to, you know, these kind of movements, uh, especially as they relate to China, of course. So, I mean, China's not so worried about the climate per mm. se, but they really enjoy kind of the strategy of having other countries because it puts them. Mm. It, it, so I see it from more of a competitive edge side of it. And you right. also talked about the humanistic side. Um, I've always kind of looked at it almost in a in a more um secular way that okay the the world especially the western world rather um as it becomes more secular there is this there's this gap of of where mm. we as humans were made to praise god and so with the yep. lack of you know giving ourselves in service to god himself we find this this need to be able to uh find meaning in our lives and and that meaning then turns into things that look almost religious from the outside, but what yep. you have just pointed out highlighted to me that there was a transition, that you have an actual goddess brought into the sanctuary of a church, uh, regardless of whether you view the, the, the building itself as being sanctified or not, it's still just that symbolic uh, yep. moving in of this Greek goddess that is very, I mean, we sometimes read it, I, uh, when I read about mythology or, or Greek mythology, I think of, you know, cartoons that I may have seen with my, my child when they were younger. So I don't, I, I can say that there's probably a weakness that I have in my own mind of viewing some of this stuff as a little bit artistic, but not real. nobody really takes it serious. But the Greeks were very serious about this. The Roman Empire oh, yeah. was very serious about these gods and these goddesses that are in their mythology. And so this is very much a movement that is, whether we understand it, whether we know it, whether we're ignorant to it or whether we, we, we give it that much credence or not, I think that we're talking about a very serious issue here that you rightly point out um, is taking place in the church and is important for Christians to understand. Absolutely, yeah, it, it is very serious. And um, I think there's something about earth worship, which is which, which goes back even further than the Greek culture. You know, it's not, this isn't just, um, you know, the, the, the sort of special preserve of one or two different cultures, but in fact, and I'm, I'm no expert on idolatry, generally speaking, but I think uh, around the world and throughout history, you can see that people tend to gravitate towards worshipping a few kind of core idols, as it were. You know, there's the idol of health, there's the idol of fertility, be that, um, you know, human fertility or fertility of the crops or of your herds. There's the idol of, of money. Um, and I'm related to, you know, fertility, there's sun worship and there's earth worship. And so it's, it's something we ought to be treating with real caution. You know, the, the, the temptation in the human heart to worship created things is just so strong. 
And that's why we need to be especially discerning. Whenever there's a, um, a worldly narrative afoot, yeah, there may well be elements of it which are fine, which are true, which are biblically sound. Um, but we've got to be so careful when it comes to health and wealth and, and the earth and what's going to happen uh, in the future. Um, we've got to be so careful. And, and, and at the very least, people are just not being careful here. They're not, they're not being wary of the danger that we can get swept into of worshipping the earth. Because a lot of the language here is about appeasing the earth. And you know, this is our only chance and our survival depends on it. And you know, it's in our hands to kind of change the, the course of, of history. And it, it, it's, this is an idolatry language. This is not biblical stewardship language. It's, it's about manipulating nature. It's about um, uh, get, getting, getting all our needs from a created thing rather than from the creator. So it, I, I'm with you. It, it's very serious. And uh, we really need to wise up before it spreads further. Uh, what you did for me is it changed, I think, my thinking um, in a way that, you know, I, I, I'm now starting to see things a little bit different. Like, I do believe, as I think that you pointed out earlier, that, you know, we as Christians have you know, a duty to be good stewards of everything mm. that we are, are have, you know, influence over or are a part of. And then, uh, of course, that includes the environment as well. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's something that we all should strive to do. But what you did in, in highlighting this, at least for me, is I started to see things differently where, where um, th things that nations are being kind of pushed to do or or convinced to do however you want to say it it seems like there is an offering that is being brought to this goddess that that nations are being asked to bring a sacrifice that nations are being asked to make an offering that nations are being asked to kind of gather up their fruits and bring it to this this goddess of the earth and because yep. we are talking about a pretty big sacrifice. I mean, the <laughs> when when I think of like um, Lent for the Catholics, this this goes way beyond that. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is this is talking about some very serious sacrifices that you know people are being required to to make, even including having less children or you well, know yeah. uh, de-escalating de the 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 human population. Um, so there's, um, there is, I'm, I, I see it and I'm not saying necessarily that that is the, that is the case and that is the driving force, but there is a spiritual element about this that I think that you touched on and it resonated with me immediately. Yeah, that's right. And, and child sacrifice is another very old, um, form of sacrifice around the world. And of course the, it, we were familiar with it in the biblical text, you know, Psalm 106, for example, we see how the. God's people mingled with the nations instead of being discerning and standing apart in their thinking and their behavior. They mingled with them, adopted their customs, even adopting child sacrifice. And and it's it's true what you point out there that the the climate emergency narrative is directly fueling what's called the antenatal um, movement. This this movement against having children, um, and of course, in many people's eyes. Abortion is just part of the birth control package. It goes hand in hand with contraceptives. And certainly many of the, I mean, take, for example, the World Health Organization or, or Bill Gates or whatever, the, these foundations that support um, the rollout of contraceptives and of abortion um, are, are also the ones that are often uh, promoting the climate emergency narrative, and they see them going hand in hand. There's this 
there's this great lie which has been a f- f- for many years and it's based on a totally discredited model from this um to our shame an english cleric called thomas malthus but this idea that population control is just going up and up and up exponentially whereas the resources like food production um aren't and they can't keep up and so there's this lie that that we cannot that the planet cannot actually sustain more people that that we you know as if we've got this finite resource that's running out or it's already run out it's just not true that many christians believe it because we've been told it again and again and again and it and it and it moves us in the very opposite direction of scripture which says go forth and multiply which says god will provide and you know seed time and harvest will will carry on um after the flood so so you know we're, we're going into a bit of a different um sort of aspect here but it is relevant because it, i i've spoken i mean it, it, it grieves my heart but i've spoken outside a so-called christian justice conference here in the uk and i've spoken with christians who've said well don't worry about abortion because you know the thing we really need to worry about is the ticking bomb of the of the planet of the environment crisis wow so, you know let's not let's not worry about trying to stop abortions because you know we're going to have no planet soon unless we do something wow uh, so th- these things are connected in people's heads and it's and it's really a very lethal um connection yeah, you you said something that I thought was really good. Uh, this is something that I was just uh, in Iraq about two months ago, and I was we were talking specifically about the Tower of Babel. And I when I went in to look at the story a little closer, one of the things that did pop out to me is that what you just talked about, God's very first command. I mean, the very first command that He gave to man was to go forth, multiply, and throughout the entire world. Throughout the yep. earth, that was that was our command, and that led me when I was there at the Tower of Babel. One of the things that, or or the place where it was very close to, where where mm. many people believe, you know, it was it it, it would have been built or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I found fascinating is that you know I went to seminary, and when I went to seminary, one of the things that I learned about the Tower of Babel is that what made it so bad was the fact when people. Uh, started to build it. They built it as an idol unto themselves. But there was something yep. actually that is even deeper than that that I feel goes directly back to the very first command and directly to what you have just said. And it, on, in chapter 11 of Genesis, it says that when the when the people wanted to build the 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 tower, the very first thing that they said was, "Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly." And come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heaven so that we can make a name for ourselves. And so that, okay, there is some pride there. But then it says this, which I think is in direct contrast to God's own command. It says, otherwise, we will be scattered over the whole face of the earth. So they, yeah. they make this p- proclamation. The people of uh, that built the Tower of Babel in this first kind of metropolitan area decided to build this tower not just as something that would emulate their own power or bring pride to themselves, but specifically they said so that they would not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And there's some, there is something too, not just the first command of God, but even the great commission of Jesus himself that reiterates to go to all the world. And uh, and so I, I, I really... Uh, I'm glad that you brought that that point up with go forth and multiply. Um, yeah, that's right. God has never reversed that command, you know. And I, I remember actually um, as a young as a, as a young boy, I remember being struck by 
how the command is reiterated after the flood, Genesis 9. Because, you know, anyone, even if you don't believe in the climate emergency narrative, anyone can look at the world and think, goodness, do I want to bring a child into this? You know, you see all the suffering, you see the, the direction that certainly a country like the UK is going in. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a reasonable concern, you know. But, but I was so struck by seeing even after the flood, even after the fall of man, even after humanity got so bad that, that the Lord wiped out everyone but Noah and his family, even then God reiterated the command to go forth and multiply. And he's never reversed that. And yet many Christians today, in our nation at least, think somehow that he's reversed it. Why? Because, uh, well, that's what they're being told by the media constantly, that it's irresponsible to have children, that, that people who are choosing not to have children for environmental reasons are being um, held up as great shining examples and heroes. And um, and this is really further um, neutering our stand against abortion. You know, it really is just just kind of, I mean, not that we, not that we had much going anyway uh, here in the UK yet. I mean, this, we're starting from 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 zero really. But this is a great distraction at best. At worst, it's it's putting people in the opposite direction by telling us, you know, uh, you know, having a child in the current um, environmental you know, context is irresponsible. It's just so unbiblical and we really need to therefore fight against it. We can't just sit by and allow this thinking to seep into the church unchallenged. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I find interesting is the language that is used, that this is like we started off the podcast talking about the the cloaking of this concept being put into very biblical language that it, that appeases and appeals to us as believers. And I think I think that there is a very or there should be anyway for many Christians. There is the desire to do the right thing. There is the desire yeah. to be able to that you know where we want to be a blessing to the future generations we want to be a blessing to the earth we want to be a blessing to our neighbor and when we hear that we are doing things selfishly um like uh you know polluting the environment uh using more resources than we need uh, damning the generations that are to come and destroying uh, civilizations, uh, you know, there is the there there is also the the concept that you know a lot of the wars are started because of global warming. Um, a lot uh, of the uh, famine, a lot of the um, refugees that are fleeing. There is a responsibility by the Christian nations to take in these refugees because they are running from a climate disaster that you created. Uh, you uh, being uh, us in the West. Um, or us mm -hmm. more, more probably more accurately, Protestant nations, which would also mm -hmm. include, you know, Australia or Singapore, or, uh, Canada. Um, and, and so, is there other language that you've seen? I mean, you you rightly pointed out this this uh, exhibition that is a goddess that is being put right in the middle of a of a church sanctuary. Is there is there specific language that has startled you? Uh, in 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 this whole climate emergency narrative yeah so for example there's one uh, there are one or two christian organizations here in the uk quite well known ones that i i sometimes receive newsletters from and um i mean even even the use of this word emergency i would say is is really unhelpful because what is an emergency you know an, an emergency is something where it's it's so critical and so urgent that you basically have to stop everything else and address it in isolation. It's, it's you know it's like a fire is an emergency, okay? A flood is an emergency. Um, 
if you know if you're in a car and the driver suddenly starts having a stroke that's an emergency um you ha you have to justify using a word like emergency now even if you accept the um you know the predictions of the world health organization for example um about about the the impact of of climate change over the next uh, few decades even if you accept that it still doesn't warrant being called an emergency we're talking the, the world health organization themselves say that between 2030 and 2050 an extra 250,000 deaths per year are to be expected as a result of climate change now that's a, a reasonable number globally but we're already seeing some 73 million babies killed every year through abortion that is an emergency that's a crisis in our nation in my country one in four babies is killed in the womb that's an wow. emergency wow that's a crisis but my problem is you've got all sorts of christian organizations and churches and others who are happy to call the climate thing an emergency but they won't even acknowledge the baby genocide so so where's where's the perspective there what's driving that because it's not you know what we're talking about here isn't just words it's what words convey and words are very powerful in shaping our thoughts and feelings and attitudes and and to call the climate so-called emergency that um suggests that it's got to be the top priority and many are saying it is that's an other language i've been shocked by you know the, the archbishop of canterbury or whoever else saying this is this is the top priority in our generation you know this is this is the big one and i'm thinking no it's not i mean look, I, could, I could name you probably 20 things that might be the big one but this isn't one of them even if it's all true what people are telling us you know so so the language of emergency is deeply irresponsible because it takes resources that should be um allocated to where there is a real emergency and it's and it's allocating them to something that is not an emergency uh, and and then uh, so that's one thing the one bit of language that concerns me another is this idea of you know um we're in a fight for survival you know again i've heard i've seen christians use this language where you know as if our planet is gonna is gonna sort of be set on fire or blow up or, or, or i don't know what but this idea that we're in a fight for survival by which they mean it's in our hands to do certain things by which we will literally save the planet from destruction and that's just not a biblical way of thinking you know the earth is in the lord's hands it's his remit yes we've got our responsibilities yes we should steward um the environment and and the earth as best we can um but we're not in a fight for survival that's that's not a biblical way to look at this another one one that's been shocking is um is is bringing critical race theory into the into the equation and, and that's something that's that's come again started outside the church but seeped into the church so i've i've seen again from a well-known christian organization um this claim that you know those who are those who are suffering most from climate change are people of color and they're not the people who've caused it um and so there's this bringing this kind of racism into the question and, and suggesting that you know if i'm white then i'm more responsible for climate change than if i happen to be black now i don't know where that leaves the, the chinese for example <laughs> who might be listening on this I don't, if, if they're considered people of color which i believe they are in our culture um you know are we saying they they're not contributing to climate change because of the color of their skin i mean it just doesn't make sense it's deeply divisive unbiblical language to separate god's creation yeah we're all made in his image we're all one race but to try and separate us into different races and pit us against each other and and blame the state of the environment on people of a certain colored skin i mean that's a really dangerous and unbiblical idea but again it's coming in to the church so there are all sorts of 
uh, bandwagon narratives that are hopping onto the climate emergency narratives. And, and um, this is why we've got to be discerning. You rightly point out that there are religious leaders. You you talked about the the bishop, but I mean, I have been around. I, I spend a lot of time traveling to different parts of the world, and one of the things that I notice is that there are a lot of churches that seem to want to be relevant, uh, for lack mm. of a better word. And mm-hmm. so this, what you just described, does become a part of the daily vernacular. Um, Mm-hmm. Is there a reason why you think churches do adopt these kind mm-hmm. of ideas, these kind of concepts? Yeah, I think that's a great question, because I think what we see here in the UK and elsewhere is that there's a, a bit of a lethal concoction. Um, what, what we have is it, it, it sometimes referred to as the sort of the seeker-sensitive approach to the church. You know, we want to be likable, we want to be approachable, we, we want to kind of, you know... Um, be as similar to the culture around us as possible. And, and and this starts in a good place. It starts with a good heart. It's evangelistic. We want people to come to know Christ. We don't want um, irrelevant stuff to get in the way. We don't want to put barriers in their way. So I get it. I, and, I, and I think I've been there myself. I do understand, I think, the drive behind seeker-sensitive approaches to church. And so there's this drive to, yeah, to, to, to that, that's the justification. We want to remove barriers, find common ground, and that will bring people in but, but the reality is the reality is it, it doesn't do that because because what we end up doing is we end up being just like the world around us we end up walking on eggshells and trying to avoid stuff that's going to cause offense and when you actually just hold that up against scripture we're way out of sync because jesus and the apostles the prophets they didn't do this they didn't tiptoe around trying to pretend they're just like everyone else around them uh, but actually, Jesus and the apostles and others, they, they, they made a beeline for the idols of the day and the idols of the heart. And, and, they, and, and Jesus was ever so clear. You, you, if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. He said to the rich man, ditch your money. He said to the woman at the well, I'm going to talk about your, your sex life. Um, the, the, the brothers who came talking about, you know, share the inheritance and, and, and Jesus speaks about the love of money. So, so we, we don't see this approach mirrored in Scripture. Um, so, so it, 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 although it's intuitively understandable, it's it's not biblical. And actually, what's what 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 ends up happening? And maybe this isn't where it starts. Perhaps it is. I'm not sure. But it ends up being the sort of syncretism that we see in even at, with the golden calf. You know, um, at the bottom of the mountain, Moses comes down. What does he find? They've made a golden calf. But it's not as simple as that because they still speak about the golden calf in kind of, as it were, biblical language. You know, here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. This is kind of mixing of the idols around them with the true God of Israel. And, and it's this idea that we can have both. And that's what we're seeing in the church today in the UK. We can have both. We, yeah, we talk, we've got the Bible. We'll, we'll read from the Bible, but then we'll also have a Gaia exhibition. And we'll, we'll pretend they're compatible because, well, they're both talking about the earth and looking after the earth. And, and yes, there's a kind of contact point, but the reality is you, you, you can't serve two masters. You can't believe two narratives that are mutually incompatible. And, and the, the cost that we need to be willing to take is we need to say, look, uh, if, if, as, as, as Joshua said, you choose yourselves this day whom you will serve. You know, how, or, or Elijah said, yeah, how long are you going to, waver between between two options you know uh 
either worship the living God or worship your other gods. Um, but we're kind of pretending we can have it both ways. We want to be in with the climate emergency crowd. We want to be in with the Black Lives Matter crowd. We don't want to offend the pro-choice crowd or the LGBT lobby. And so we, we, we either stay quiet about those things or we, or we um, actually embrace them out loud. Uh, but the reality is what we're doing there is we're choosing our idols and we're, we're, we're accommodating them. Um, and that's why, you know, the first commandment's so important. You have no other gods because what we worship dictates everything else about our life. And, and that's where all sin and error starts, really, is with idolatry. And so this idea that we can kind of tolerate, you know, bring it alongside and kind of have it both ways is, is very dangerous. Uh, I think I understand kind of how people can be swept along by it, but we've just got to count the cost and, and, and receive the persecution. That, that's, that's the cost of it, um, is, is, you know, we'll have people accuse us of of being irresponsible not caring about others etc etc and we've got to just accept that that's what jesus says will happen you know, people will falsely say all kinds of evil against us and uh, i don't know about hong kong but here in the uk we're in a church culture where where people think that if if someone is offended by what you're doing or someone hates you for what you're doing then you've you've got it wrong you know you just need to be more careful you know um but, but that's not what the scripture says because you know jesus and the apostles faced all kinds of hatred and it wasn't because they made a mistake or they were lacking in, in grace. So I think we've got to just be prepared to take the hit for saying no to idolatry and worshiping the living God and, and sticking to, to his narrative, to his word, um, and just accept that it's going to make us strangers and aliens in the world. Yeah, I, I one of the things that, I mean, I, I see now speaking with you a little bit, I'm reminded of black liberation theology, which was, you know, the, uh, one of the things that the Soviet Union just was baffled by was their inability to be able to influence the people in South America. They felt that that should just uh, be such ripe ground because there was so much poverty. So to pivot the classes against each other based on, uh, you know, the wealthy and the and, and the poor, the, the bourgeoisie uh, and, and the worker class, to, to kind of pit them together should have been super easy. But because of their relationship, Reliance on uh, their Catholic religion, it was a major, major obstacle. So the, 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 the Soviet Union began to move in agents into South America, and they what they did was they created a concoction of uh, Catholicism and communism. And they put it together and they got this uh, black liberation theology, which uh, didn't take the kind of it didn't take root in the way that they thought it would. But it, it still mm. permeated throughout the continent as well as in in America. And one of the things that I find fascinating um, about what you just said is that, you know, when churches embrace, you know, the, this kind of. Um, secular movement is, and they 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 speak with the buzzwords of today. Things that kind of are are popular to say. Um, there is a coolness factor, but there's also something else. There is a lack of censorship. Um, yeah. Where uh, if you speak out, I mean, you can say anything you want against Christianity, and that's usually considered to be free speech. And if I'm if I'm forced to choose, I usually will fall on the side of free speech. Like, I believe that mm -hmm. if God lets us choose, who am I to stop you from choosing? Yeah. And so yeah. I will fall on that that side. So, you know, when there was a lot of uh, uh, anger over, I don't know if you remember, this has been a while ago, but there was an artist that made art by 
putting the cross in urine and that was supported by the u.s government finances and then it was put into a, like a a big uh, kind of art display uh museum and you know so many people from around the world came to see it and was in awe of it and they they really were critical against the church for you know being so protective over their idols but yet today if you touch any of these idols that you and i've been talking about today like okay. the the climate change i mean you will get shut down so quickly i'm surprised that i was i don't know actually um it, have you been blocked on social media or not or, or have you been blocked i have historically yeah i mean whether or not <laughs> i I've been thought blocked. so <laughs> i thought so now, i was just taking a guess i was getting ready to say i'm surprised that you were you're openly being able to share about this on social media but then i thought maybe i'll ask first <laughs> if you've well, been I've, able to do I, it i've been blocked you know in the past i've been blocked for stuff on abortion i've been blocked oh, right. for stuff okay. on Right. On the vaccines. Whether yeah. I've been blocked yet on, on on the climate stuff. Okay. I don't know, but 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 even I mean, I think it seems to me that uh, where where a lot of attention has been focused on COVID nineteen, we're seeing it shift now to climate to some degree. And certainly, what I've seen is, and I think I think this was, um, yes, I, uh, I'll need to check this, but I'm pretty sure on on a, a podcast that we. Uh, that I did a, a few weeks ago talking about this very same issue um, on YouTube, um, this little notice popped up underneath our podcast, you know, a notification from, I don't know, I guess Google put it there on behalf of, I don't know who, but, you know, with a, with a, with a sort of kosher definition of climate change, you know, so to counter what we were saying in the podcast, there's this sort of information box, so-called, you know, provided by Google um, saying, you know, what climate change is, is it's, you know, it's human caused, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, so um, I've been blocked a little bit, but what I, what I have seen is, is when giving information that's not particularly convenient for certain narratives or giving an opinion that fights against those narratives, um, there is a kind of soft censorship of, you know, of people trying to claim that this is misinformation and sort of, and, you know, uh, claiming that it's, that it's false. Um, but yes, occasionally I've been blocked, but I don't think I've been blocked quite yet on the, on the climate stuff, but maybe that stays going Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that this goes to the heart of what you have been talking about, that there is a religious nature to this and that when you speak yeah. out against it, even when you have the backing of, you know, independent research, when you have the backing of, uh, people that have studied this kind of subject their entire lives still there is a there there is a almost of a religious nature uh dictating yeah. what you can say what you can't say and uh, right. right away i buck against that system regardless of whether it's a good system or not yeah. just because i feel that the you know if it is a lie the way to combat that lie is more speech not less of it and i just shared about this yep. yesterday at a church that i spoke in uh here in the uk that you know one of the things that i find especially when it comes to because i mean jesus could have written um you know anything that he wanted to share with us he he could have been born this year in 2021 instead of 2000 years ago and had his own youtube channel his his own facebook page and being able to effectively be 
disseminated a lot more information faster to many more people than he did 2000 years ago. And, and when I look at the fact that he didn't write anything, he didn't record anything. Um, I, I, I'm fascinated by that. But then I see that, you know, John one, one, that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. This idea that he wrote his message on the hearts of his disciples and they went out and did the same to others. And so you have this, this free flow of, of communication and, and information Uh coming from and i mean that that word that is used right is logos uh that in the beginning was the word the logos and that that is the root word that we use for logic just being able to communicate with one another so anytime anybody tries to shut down speech i'm already curious and 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 kind of push back against that because that's usually not usually that is a very strong tactic of the enemy because the it, the enemy of the truth is never a lie I, I feel in my own opinion that the truth will always trump a lie what the enemy of truth is silence and so when you are able to silence your enemies uh, and and i'm probably a little bit more sensitive to this because i work quite a bit in north korea i i've you know lived more than half my life inside of china and and the number one thing that they do in order to prop up their different ideas and even within the system against christianity is to squelch free speech uh, 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 uh. yeah that's absolutely right and we see that certainly with abortion you know we we try very hard to get people to debate us out in the open to look at the facts to talk about it but but the yeah you're, you're right the number one uh, approach is always just to silence us to platform us to um to just change the subject and that that's really uh, typical with, a, with when it comes to abortion because there is no argument you can't make an argument in favor of abortion all you can do is is find various ways and and one way of, of doing that of course is if you can't physically silence them as as you know for example the chinese government maybe can you know uh cause people to disappear or whatever it might be but here in the west we have a kind of what a friend of mine calls soft totalitarianism sort of political correctness you know which which is more subtle and more kind of psychological but people are kind of silenced they're sort of intimidated into silence and often that's by by way of and being demonized uh, for having a certain view. So, you know, if you happen to have a different view on uh, the science of of the climate or whatever, it's not just, oh, well, that's your view. It's, no, you're a climate denier. You know, you're a flat earther. You, you're denying the science. You know, same with with the vaccine. If you should refuse uh, the vaccine for any particular reason, you're you're a, sort of an anti-vaxxer and, and you're you're demonized. And, and the same, of course, happens with abortion as well. So. So that's one form of um, silencing that takes place, and it's it's very it's, again it, it betrays this this religiosity, the moralizing of 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 these narratives. That um, if you find yourself outside of the latest orthodoxy, you you can expect to be treated like a heretic. You know, this is not sort of reasonable minds can disagree stuff. This is these people need to be locked up, silenced. Um, you know, we can't let them educate their own children or, or whatever it might be. Um, you're really classified as a, a kind of enemy of a state simply for, for peacefully expressing a different view or sharing some facts or asking some questions. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, whenever I see that, I, you know, it, it catches my attention because even if I didn't think something was up before, I'm probably thinking there's something up now because, you know, <laughs> why, why, why are they so threatened by open discourse? 
Yeah, I, I mean, whenever I look at Jesus, even just the way that he engaged people that questioned him, there was usually two different ways. There was one way where, you know, if the Pharisees or the Sadducees questioned him, he just smashed them down. But it always prefaces that with saying that he perceived why they were asking those questions. And it was not in search of truth or in yep. search of knowledge. It was in search of entrapment. But those that had yep. honest questions in search of truth, I love that idea that seek me and you'll find me. You know, knock and it will be open. This this idea of chasing after God. And I believe that, you know, Jesus said that he is truth, that he said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. That if we seek after truth and chase him, I believe he will make himself found but the way to do that is we we start with questions we question yeah. what we believe we question you know what we've been taught and we and, and, and we chase after truth and and I think that he rewards that I've I have to tell you I've really enjoyed my time speaking with you Dave this has been a real pleasure if somebody's listening and they want more information especially as you guys are out there championing for life um, where can they find more information? Thank you. Yeah, so people can go to cbruk.org, so .org, cbruk, um, and then for our church-specific project, Brefos, that's B-R-E-P-H-O-S dot O-R-G, so brefos.org. But yeah, please get in touch uh, here in the UK, or if, if you're abroad, still get in touch. We've got affiliates, as I say, around the world, and uh, we'd love to hear from you and, uh, and help you uh, get trained up, get informed, get equipped. We're all about mobilizing everyday people um, in the movement to end abortion. So yeah, get in touch. We'd love to get to know you. So if you've been listening to this podcast, if you caught in kind of in the middle or, or you wasn't listening to the beginning part, I've been talking with a guy by the name of Dave Brennan. And the way you can find out more information about them is through cbruk.org. That's one of the websites. The other one is Brefos, which is spelled B-R-E-P-H-O-S.org. Dave, thank you so much for joining us on the Back to Jerusalem podcast. It has been a true, true pleasure. Oh, thank you, Eugene. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on, and God bless you in your work, and much love in Christ to those who've been listening in. Awesome. Bless you, brother. Bless you. Thank you. And I want to thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of the UK. God bless you.